Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, across the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or... FM Translator, hello and good morning. It is the Michael Duke Show broadcasting live, ready to dive into it with you and talk about all the stuff that's fit to print and more. It's uh, the stuff and things. Hello and good morning. It's Tuesday, and that means it's time for uh, the weekly top three. Brad Keithley is going to come on board and join us here in just a few moments, and we're going to dive into the big three issues that he thinks are important for us to pay attention to, at least from his perspective, and uh, we're going to talk about it, potentially facing another oil cycle impact. Um, we're going to talk about how we should control that. That's going to be his number one topic. And then also he's got uh, he's got some support for a ballot measure, but uh, he says it's only part of the solution that is com- uh, campaign contribution limits. And finally, um, a little bit of transparency in the uh, permanent fund state investment program. Uh, he said uh, that's a good thing. So we got three things, three big things to talk about this morning with Brad, and we're going to dive into that here in about, boy, I don't know, 10, 12 minutes or so. We'll get started on that and see what you have to say or what he has to say. Then in hour two, we're going to be talking with Chris Story, the man from Homer, who's going to come in and uh, he will give us an uplifting topic and then proceed to give us some betterment on it. It's always fun. I mean, I, <clears throat> I mean, I know that it's for me. Let's face it. The whole thing is for me. I, I need that uplift every week. I, I just can't, I just can't take it anymore. All this negativity and politics. Sometimes I need just, I just need something positive. And that's what, uh, that's what, uh, that's what Chris brings to me every week. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, <clears throat> Hi. Uh, are you ready for the big uh, for the big day? I am. Um, thanks for uh, thanks for uh, putting up with me yesterday, boy. I don't know what it was. I was lower than dirt yesterday. I uh, f- was feeling a little bit under the weather, but today is a whole new day. Um, feeling feeling much better, and we're uh, we're we're good to we're good to go uh, on this and uh, ready to dive into it. I got some headlines. I get some headlines, and we should talk about some of this. Um, it's interesting that there's uh, yesterday we mentioned the uh, n- the the bear kill right to try and bolster the uh, Bolchatna caribou herd, and I mentioned that the article headline in the ADN just sounded 
Uh, not, I mean, I don't know how I, I, I guess it was just a little shrill, the, the way the headline was written and, and no criticism on the, <clears throat> on the author of that piece. I know that the, probably the editorial board is the one that writes it, but <clears throat> it was, um, it was just a little bit of a shrill. Now the KTUU headline seems to be a little more calm. 94 brown bears eliminated in government predator control measure, it says. Uh, what's interesting though, is this, this, uh, story's got a little bit more information on it and, um, it dives down a little bit into the issue itself. Uh, according to the department of fish and game, uh, the predator control efforts that they did where they killed 94 brown bears between May the 10th and June the 4th, North of Dillingham were all part of an intensive management program to increase the caribou herd, which declined 96% since 1997. So in the last 25 years, 26 years, the Mulchatna caribou herd is pretty much, it's at 4% of what it was. Five black bears and five wolves were also removed using aerial methods across the same dates. That puts it over 100 a total of 200,000 caribou in the Mulchatna herd in 1997 cratered to about 12,000 in 2017, which is where the population is hanging right about now. Now, they're saying this could be one of the largest uh, government-backed killings of brown bears in the history of the nation, uh, to which Rick Steiner, a retired professor and environmental scientist, has concerns he says he's overwhelmingly against the recent bear kill, but he said at least it will provide an opportunity to possibly study the effects of the removal. He says it's probably a five or ten year study that needs to be done now. So, <clears throat> it, with all due respect to Professor Steiner, is this a is this one of those cases of never let a crisis go to waste? We can get a five year study out of this. We can get a ten year study. <clears throat> it's uh, it's interesting. Um, he says that he doesn't believe that uh, this is the right thing to do. Um, he said that <laughs> he said I, I have a feeling, a strong feeling that this has been strongly that this is really strongly destabilized that ecosystem out there, and we're going to see some instability for years to come. It will probably will not work in recovering the herd, which has declined for many reasons. Climate change, habitat decline, overgrazing disease, um, as well as overhunting, both legal and illegal. He said the first thing the department should have done is try to get a handle on the illegal take of caribou. Now, look, let me just say this. You have a herd that's over 200,000 caribou. Um, and it's come down to 12,000 caribou. Um, in that area, I don't know what the population is in that area, but north of Dillingham, there's not a whole lot. I don't see a decline of two of 190, 180,000 caribou. I don't see a huge number of that coming out of illegal or legal hunting. Yes, I'm sure that there are multiple issues here. I'm sure that there is a change in habitat or anything else, but also predation. Um, a hundred, a hundred uh, predators in that area, when you're talking about a herd that was 200,000 strong, what they don't talk about in this article, which I would find very interesting to find out, would be a question um, of how many predators are in that same area. 
I mean, of the 100 brown bears and wolves that they took, how, how many does that leave? What is the, I mean, if you're talking about 50,000 bears and we took a hundred, that, um, that doesn't seem like a whole lot, right? Um, in comparison, um, but this, anyway, this is, it just caught my eye. The fact that <clears throat> professor Steiner, who's a, not a biologist, not a wildlife biologist, not a game management specialist, not anything else. He's a retired professor and an environmental scientist. Um, has uh, said that they need a five to 10 year study to uh, make this happen. And, uh, you know, we here at the Alaska study industry want to encourage the good professor, says my buddy, John, who is a proponent of the Alaska study industry. (laughs) Uh, I mean, we're going to study the study that we studied before the last time we studied the study that were studied that we need to have a study on all that. I mean, there is a library somewhere with every study ever done in the state of Alaska with public dollars. I mean, it is, I'm sure the numbers reach into the, it's got to be close to a billion dollars for all the studies we've done in this state. Um, <clears throat> interesting, uh, this is like a dir, but uh, interesting when they put it down on paper. Suzanne Downing over at Must Read Alaska has... Uh, They did some analysis, a review um, through April of 2023, um, looking at the fundraising efforts of both the major parties, uh, the Alaska Republican Party and the Alaska Democratic Party. And it's uh, interesting. The total amount raised, um, the the total amount raised from in-state versus out-of-state is, like I said, very telling. The Alaska Republican Party is supported by Alaskans. 99.3% of the funds coming from inside the state, according to the analysis of the Federal Election Commission records, through the 30th of January. That's January 1 through April 30th. 99.3% of the funds for the Alaska GOP coming from inside the states. There's a $100 from Virginia and $300 from Michigan or whatever, but... Um, the Democrats, 78% of the money raised by the Democrats in uh, the federal, for the federal elections, 78% coming from outside, only 21% coming from inside Alaska, the rest of it being shopped from outside, mostly from California, Illinois, Virginia, and Washington. That's the, that's the whole, with California, the California has donated more to Alaska Democratic Party than the actual Democrats in Alaska have. Uh, She starts off the, she starts off the article with a comment that the Alaska Democratic Party continues its tradition of political colonialism. I mean, wow. I mean, that is just... And that's 78,000 to the 54,000 raised by the GOP uh, in the same time frame. So not only have they <clears throat> gotten most of the money from the outside, they're actually outraising the uh, Alaska Republican Party, which I guess no surprise. Uh, no surprise there. And that's just for the um, federal 
election commission records. So it's not that's not local. That's not the state stuff. That's not anything else. That's just FEC records through April 30th. So, uh, but yeah, uh, they're not that uh, they're just it, there's an agenda there. Surprise, surprise. There's an agenda. Agenda. Um, <clears throat> what was the other thing? All right. Well, I don't I don't have time to get into the other thing. I mean, I would love to, but I just... Okay, let's go, shall we? We'll kick this thing off. We'll get ready for Brad Keithley. And we'll see what you have to say. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return with more in just a moment. Brad Keithley's weekly top three. We'll be back. I didn't know what to say there for a second. I know, that's shocking, isn't it? We'll be back with more right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Well, howdy, howdy, howdy. Uh, hi, how are... Oh, I suppose I should turn that off because there's no phones. Um, <clears throat> let me go back and read... Some commentary. Wow, you guys are verbose this morning. Hello, hello, good morning, hello, good morning, hello, hello, hello. Uh, I'm saying a lot of hellos. Um, So already you're looking sounding better. Good morning. Yes, I feel yesterday, man, I was like just, woof. I went back to bed after the show and um, slept for three and a half hours. I just was just could it hurt to think that's how tired i was um that's a huge decrease in a herd hasn't been an increase in bear cubs twins and triplets that i've seen posting hasn't there been an increase in bear cubs um there's not a whole lot of people to eat 200,000 caribou let alone 94 bears yeah but that's exactly what i said uh government cannot seize property for bears the way they can for poachers said chris Oh, man. Um, the, uh, yeah, I just, I, I find it hard to question. I mean, 200,000 caribou down to 12,000. That's just such a significant amount. Um, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Let's see. Dark, dark money. That's what just Michael Dwayne. Dark money. Um, Hawk wonders what they did with the hides and meats. I'm sure that it was went to the indigent list or whatever. Um, if nobody can harvest bears, how do you manage the population from growing? Apparently by letting the government handle it. Um, um in the middle of in the middle of June and I'm still in my long handles. Your long handles? Loving this. 
I don't know what your long handles are. Is that long johns? I don't know what long handles are. Okay. Um, yeah, and I saw, we didn't talk about the moose, the first case of Alaska. It was in, up in Teller. I don't know how it, you know, got, yeah, anyway. Okay, well, let's just dive into this with Brad, because I am all over the place this morning. We're ready to go. Let's go. Let's, wow. Let's bring some sanity here for a second here. I, that was crackety, crackety. Hi, Brad. <laughs> I don't know what that was, but it sounded like you had a whole box full of something rolling down the stairs there. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Michael. Sounds like you're doing better. Uh, Did uh, Terry give you some of her tonic? No, no, I, uh, no, I just poured myself back into bed. I took two of me and called me in the morning. That was pretty much what it was like uh, yesterday. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it was. Um, I didn't go to bed that late on the weekend. I was feeling fine, but boy, yesterday, ooh, I don't know if that would have, I don't know if that's what it feels like to get old or whatever, but I just could not get up. <laughs> I just could not get up, and I was like, whoa, baby. Um, but um, maybe the difference was, I don't know, whatever it was. I feel better, and I'm ready to go, and uh, we got the weekly top three, and uh, so, that's so it. So your bout, your bout with age is over? Yeah, no, I got young again. It was the it was the thing. I, I don't know what it was, but, yeah, it was – I literally looked at my – looked at Terry and said, it hurts to think. I just want to go – I just <laughs> – I just can't even focus on anything. I'm just like, no, I'm going to, oh, and I just went back to bed. Um, good well, for me. Well, Terry's, so, Terry's usually got good tonics for that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she, you know, tonics, vodka tonics, ginger tonics. We call it <laughs> gin tonics. Well, I wasn't going to go quite that far. Yeah, well, you know, it's all good. All right, you ready to dive into this thing? I am. Let's, I am. Uh, let's, uh, let's do this then. Here we go. The Michael, uh-oh. That was bad. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow, do all the YouTubey things. Let's uh, let's do this thing. Brad Keithley about to break it down for us with the weekly top three. Uh, let's do it right now. Okay, welcome back to the program. Good morning to you. Tuesday, the weekly top three. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, comes on board and shares with us what he thinks is important. And uh, we got some uh, we got some interesting topics today, not ones that I would have expected necessarily, uh, which is always good because I always learn something new. So, uh, Brad, good morning. How are you, my friend? Michael, I'm doing great. I'm doing great, and and sounds like you're doing better, which is which is good news. Yes, yesterday I was dragging severely, like by my lips across the dirt floor. It was bad, but today we're all good. Um, so let's dive into it, though. Um, so uh, we've got an impact on oil cycles, uh, and this is, of course, we've talked about this in the state of Alaska, running from one side of the ship to the other, feast or famine, uh, but now. Since we're facing another one with the whole Saudi thing and all the other stuff, uh, we should control the impact of these cycles, and we can. You've got a whole 
you got a whole rundown on how this is going to work. Give me the give me the the details. Well, James Brooks has an article in um, in the Alaska Beacon that's been picked up by the APRN, the the Alaska Public uh, News, um, about and the headline is Saudi Arabia's oil production cut could affect Alaska's state finances, and it's about the potential that the that the most recent Saudi unilateral cut in production could have uh, on prices, uh, lifting up prices, which is certainly what Saudi hopes, um, and and increasing them above uh, above. Uh, the projections that that the FY24 budget's based on. Now, before we get too carried away in this conversation, I I, I did my morning uh, uh, spreadsheet on where futures prices are, and and as of this morning uh, morning's opening market opening, FY24 prices are down are, are in fact down two dollars from uh, from the projection uh, that were included in the spring revenue forecast. So I don't think we need to be jumping up and down yet. Uh, thinking that uh, that this is going to be an issue, uh, but James is is reporting is really on uh, a forecast that the uh, EIA published last week. The Federal Energy Information Agency administration, rather, uh, published last week. Uh, uh, it publishes monthly a, a, an assessment of where the oil market is and a projection of prices um, about a year and a half, eighteen months, uh, eighteen months ahead. And the EIA's forecast, which was released, uh, April for- May forecast, which was released last week, was an eye-opener. I was surprised uh, at it uh, at the time. It forecasts uh, FY24 prices. Now, keep in mind that the, that the state's revenue forecast, spring revenue forecast for FY24 is $73 a barrel. Um, the EIA published a, a, a forecast looking ahead of uh, essentially the FY24 over the FY24 period, the state's FY24 period, uh, that would average out at $81 a barrel, uh, $8 a barrel over uh, the state's spring revenue forecast, and forecast uh, EIA's forecasting an FY25 price uh, of $85 a barrel uh, against the state's forecast of, let's see, $69 a barrel. So EIA's forecast a significant uh, price ramp up uh, largely as a result of the Saudi action and their read that Saudi is going to take the steps necessary to uh, to uh, to maintain a higher price level. Now, as I said, let's not get let's not jump too far ahead in the story. What's happened in the in the subsequent days is the is the oil price, oil forecast, oil futures price has gone down. Uh, this morning, averaging out at uh, seventy one dollars for FY twenty four, two dollars below the state's revenue forecast. And what's really going on is Russian oil, uh, which uh, Russia politically had agreed with Saudi to restrict its oil output as well with the rest of OPEC and agreed to restrict its output as well. But as it needs additional revenues, Russia is putting a lot of oil on the water and it's really driving the price of uh, price of oil down. Questions whether Russia can sustain that, whether Saudi's action will dry up uh, uh, enough enough oil to uh, not only offset the Russian impact, but also to to increase the price. We'll see. But this all brings up this all brings up an issue that we continually have in Alaska, and was one we had at the beginning of of last session as well, which is oil prices go up, oil prices go down, and Alaska just seems to ride sort of like a surfer seems to ride that wave. <laughs> Alaska's fiscal situation seems to ride that wave up and down, and it has. You know, bad implications in the sense that when we have a surplus, 
we uh, or when we have uh, uh, high revenues, oil revenues, we create all these programs um, and do all this spending that when oil prices settle back down, put us in a put us in a in a in a bad situation and lead right. to things like PFD cuts to to continue to fund those programs that 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 looked okay when oil prices were high, but shocking, but uh, shocking, I tell you, I mean this is the maintained. this is the problem. I mean we've done this for years. I mean, and we'll have what will the worst part is is that it'll be one year of a high oil price and it spikes and they've got all this money and they're like, Oh, we've got something. And then the next year it craters. And then it's like, what do we do now? We've created all, I mean, you, you would think that they would learn. You only have to stick your finger in a light socket once or twice to figure it out, but not these guys. And what's, and what's really surprising about this, Michael, is we have a solution. I mean, we can control oil prices. Alaska can control oil prices as they feed into the budget <clears throat> and it's a solution we're familiar with. When we do the POMV draws, the percent of market value draws from the permanent fund earnings, we use a five-year average, a rolling five-year average each year to, 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 to backward-looking five-year average to calculate uh, what the amount of the draw ought to be. When we do permanent fund dividends, uh, we do a five-year average of what the earning, earnings have been when we used to do permanent fund dividends. And when we still calculate the statutory permanent fund dividend. We do a five-year average, uh, looking back um, and and use that backward-looking sort of dollars in our pockets already, uh, uh, backward-looking uh, calculation. So we know how to do this. We know how to control uh, 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 variables that would otherwise affect us. When you use a, a rolling five-year average, historical five-year average, you take out you know the 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 the, the variances that result from you know, the stock market going crazy one year and crashing, crashing the next year. You, you smooth that out over time. When the same thing when you do permanent fund dividends on a rolling five-year average, they still vary, but they don't vary as much as they right. would if you were if you were predicating them on, oh, what do we think earnings are going to be next year? Let's use earnings right. next year as our as our forecast tool. So we know how to do this. We know how to smooth out financial variations, but we don't do it with oil. Uh, in February. For those interested in the details, uh, in February, February 3rd, I did a, my Alaska landmine column that week was was headlined, How Alaska Can Control Oil Revenues. And I looked at a lot of a lot of different ways to get to control revenues in the same way that <clears throat> that uh, we use with uh, the POMB draw and with the PFD draw. And, and it turns out that five years, we still have a lot of variability. Uh, when we use a five-year average. So the best approach is a 10-year average and an even better approach is a 10-year average with sideboards. It can't increase or decrease more than 5%. The oil revenues can't, traditional right. revenues can't increase or decrease more than 5%. Right. But, and, and that and that would put us in control of oil revenues. We no longer would be the tail on OPEC's dog, you know, just whacking back and forth as, as, uh, as prices went up and down. We'd have a smooth uh, curve uh, of revenues. And that would prevent things <clears throat> it would have had we used it in the past and would, if we, if we use it going forward, would have prevented us, as you say, said earlier, running from one side of the ship to the other. Uh, when we have, uh, when we have oil revenues, creating all these programs, creating all these expectations, creating all these additional constituency groups that then when, when oil prices come down, when revenues come down, then go and lobby the legislature and say, Oh my God, you know, we can't, we can't, we can't, you know, die. We can't, we can't go away. Now that you've created us, we've got to keep going. 
Right. Um, it, it would it would it would moderate all those oil constituency groups in a better way. Oil revenue constituency groups in a better way, frankly, I think, than uh, than the spending cap uh, that some people have talked about. Because spending caps <clears throat> spending caps, frankly, always go stale over time. And the ones we've been talking about, as as we've talked about on previous shows, have the ones we're currently talking about have the unintended consequences of killing the PFD. So. I think I think you know we we have a tool as we face potentially another situation where oil prices are going to go a little crazy on us. If you believe the EIA may forecast that they're going to go a little crazy on us, we have a tool uh, that we can control. That it's a tool we know we understand. We've applied to the PFD, we've applied to the POMB, and we should be applying to oil going forward. This is interesting because this is <clears throat> this is kind of I mean we don't talk much about it but number 4 of the charter of changes is to change the funding and the way that we do the budget um and I had suggested back when I created the charter of changes that maybe we could take a page from the book of the permanent fund and use a 5 year rolling average of revenues and I mean this is the same kind of thing that you're talking about because there was nothing worse <clears throat> I still remember uh and I talk about this all the time but I still remember back in the late aughts maybe 2010, 2012, whatever it was, when Sean Parnell was writing a budget based on, you know, based on the fall forecast at $114 a barrel and oil had just cratered and it was down in the $68, $70 barrel range. And yet he was still writing a budget based on $115 a barrel oil. It was pie in the sky. And I said, why are we doing, why do we not look back and see what we've gotten for the last five years and create an average? And you're saying 10 years is even better. Okay, great. You're right. That does smooth the highs and the lows out. Why aren't we doing this, Brad? Well, it's, it's because it's a couple of things. One, We've created all these constituency groups, and what they found is when oil prices go up, they can create these new programs and get this additional spending. And then when oil prices come down, come down, they can cry enough to get to get, for example, in the in the current era, get the PFD cut uh, and sustain their program. So it, we've created we've created a an environment in which we are rewarding um, uh, constituency groups, and we're rewarding those who play to constituency groups, legislators. Play to constituency groups based on high oil prices. So you you keep you you keep this this running you know futures based uh, oil revenues so that when when it runs up you can take advantage of it and you can be the savior and you can fund you know everything you want to fund uh, all around all around the state. You can create all these no new programs. You can satisfy all the constituency groups um, and then you know you just you brace for it and and take it out of the PFD. Create theories about why right. you can take it out of the PFD on the downside. What you're so saying is, it's, what you're saying is, never let a crisis go to waste, especially a crisis that you can create. Yeah, it, it's it's the same thing, you know. When some parents who, you know, when Johnny passed uh, passed the dime store window in my era, when Johnny passed the dime store era and said, "I want that," the parent parents said, oh, "Okay, yeah, you know, we can afford that right now. We'll get we'll get Johnny that." And you know, and the next time Johnny goes by the window and says, "I want that." Parent isn't quite as well off, but nonetheless, you know, Johnny starts crying. And, and so the parent wants to be the hero when they've got the money and the parent's willing to, you know, do something else when uh, when they don't have the money. And Johnny has learned that his, the learned behavior is to cry every time he goes by the window and he doesn't get what he wants. So uh, Donna says in the chat room, HB 194 does what you're suggesting. Uh, it'll be in Ways and Means Committee. Uh, it'll be a priority next session. It's a revenue limit. So hopefully 
those fall along the same lines. I mean, that's what it's going to take, right? It's going to take some kind of legislative fix for this, or in your mind, is it more of a constitutional fix? What is it, what is it going to take? Well, actually, actually it's a fix that doesn't need legislation. I mean, we, we, we set the budget based upon futures projections um, uh, as a matter of, as a matter of policy from the administration and from the legislature. And creating a statute, as we found with the PFD, creating a statute doesn't necessarily secure uh, uh, how how they how they view these things. So it's really more: can we get the administration? Can we get Dunleavy? Right. The Dunleavy administration, OMB, and 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 Department of Re- Natural Department of Revenue to to utilize that sort of budgeting approach when they go forward. And can we get the legislature, uh, the finance committees, to utilize that sort of that sort of budgeting approach? I looked at I looked at the legislation. I, I don't recall it being a ten year average, but uh, whatever it is, that's nice. But it's also ignorable <laughs> by right. future legislators. So right. we have to change the behavior. As a, a well, at this point, I'm very skeptical of any statutory fix on anything based on what the legislature is doing. I mean, it's all well and good, and we could battle it out in the streets all day long and have it pass, and then they could just arbitrarily ignore it when it doesn't uh when it doesn't uh you know match exactly what they need to do all right let's uh, get a quick fix uh, quick uh, tease on number two of the weekly top three brad we're going to go to break here so give me uh give me a little bit of flavor here so there's a new ballot measure that's being uh, uh pushed around uh it's by uh, the same people that uh, did uh rank choice voting so i know a lot of people on this program are going to a lot of listeners are going to just immediately have an allergic reaction to it, but I think it's a good ballot measure. I don't think it goes far enough, but I think it's a good ma- ballot measure in dealing with uh, campaign contributions and sort of ties back into what you were talking about in the first segment about the disparity between out-of-state and in-state Democrat and Republican. Yeah, well, <clears throat> that was a pretty shocking number, quite honestly. Uh, so yeah, we'll see exactly what Brad's thoughts are on this. And yes, when Alaska's for better elections are involved, I'm not <clears throat> as sanguine as I probably should be. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. We're back with Brad Keithley right after this. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. In the break. Brad Keithley, uh, our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. The problem, Brad, uh, with the discussion, <laughs> the problem, let me just. There's only one? <laughs> there's only one problem with this, um, is that, you know, a lot of times the governor, whoever the governor is, the administration, doesn't want, I mean, they've got programs that they want too, right? I mean, they've got things that they want to address too. They don't want to. I mean, the fact that Parnell went continued to go through the whole charade of, of uh, we're going to build this budget based on oil that we think is going to be $50 a barrel more than it actually is, is, I mean, that's, that was, that was insanity. I mean, nobody, nobody looked at that and said, that's a, that's a reasonable budget. And yet they continued to do it because they had priorities. And that's the problem is the self-interest of the administration would have to be set aside for something like this to be set up. And as we've seen in the past, there's nothing stopping the next administration from changing it back all over again. I mean, that's part of the problem. Yeah. Um, you know, it'd be helpful to have it in statute. At least you'd have something to re- to refer to. Uh, but it, 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 the, the, the political, <laughs> we do have a screwed up system. The, the, the political 
sensitivities of the moment outweigh what's long-term best policy. I mean, we're, we've got that going on with the PFD now. Best long-term policy is to keep hands, to keep money in the hands of Alaska families, working Alaska families. The, by far, it's a, it's a, it's a more uh, positive impact on the economy. It's a more impact on Alaska families in cutting the PFD. But the exigencies of the moment are to cut it and, um, and, and to keep uh, the other constituencies, the constituencies that hire lobbyists, uh, and can swarm Juno with people, um, uh, uh, with sob stories, with Johnny's sob stories. Uh, that's uh, that's you know that that trumps what should be a, a better long-term fiscal policy. I, I I know this is a theme I go back to on occasion, but maybe more than I should. But you know, if Dunleavy Dunleavy were a governor that was concerned about his long-term. Uh, uh, the perspective of his administration from the long term was legacy. Wanted, wanted you yeah, thank you. Wanted to be a, leg, a legacy governor. I think he would be looking at things like this to better position Alaska for the future, uh, and better position our our fiscal situation for the future. He'd be looking at 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 you know at at, at, at changes in in Alaska's fiscal fiscal structure like this that would better position us for the future. But he's not. <laughs> uh, he's I mean, he's he's he he still has the opportunity if he wants to do it, but he hasn't he hasn't taken the opportunity. One thing he could do, I mean, next year's budget when it rolls out, he could use the ten year average uh, uh, with sideboards and say, look, this is better policy to do this going forward. We do it with the PFD, we do it with the POMB. Uh, we ought to be doing this with uh, oil revenues as well. We ought to not be the tail on OPEC's dog anymore. We ought to be in control of our own of our own destiny with respect to oil prices and, and do that. Well, he still, he still could do it. Right. And this is a whole discussion that we could have had, you know, talking about OPEC and Russia and all this other kind of stuff. I mean, that's one of the big things that, uh, you know, like I said, mostly we don't deal with national stuff on here. But this whole idea that somehow we stopped pursuing American uh, American energy independence is just it's just shocking to me that here where we are, we're now going to be dependent. Uh, the economy is going to be based on around what OPEC and Russia and everything else. We're not pursuing our own energy agenda. We should be. We should be self-reliant. And if OPEC wants to do what OPEC wants to do, then so be it. But we're just we're just shying away from that. It's it's astonishing. Well, we're a free market economy, Michael. So so people make investment decisions based upon. And private individuals, private citizens make uh, investment decisions based upon their own perception of 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 where the of where the returns are going to go, um, and and that will always, frankly, in the oil market, will oil put oil always put us at at a disadvantage to OPEC and to Saudi in particular, who make their investment decisions and make their production decisions around their terms, uh, and can control what production does and what investment does. So. We're, we're it, it, that's more a function of of the fact that we have a free market economy and they don't, um, and they're a big enough producer to be the marginal producer and be able to control where oil markets go. We, we, to, to to truly have energy independence in a way that we can seal the borders and um, and and rely on our own oil and not have oil have, not have Saudi bang us around, we have to change. The way the oil industry operates, we'd have to make it a centralized control in the same way that Saudis made theirs a centralized control. So it's which I'm not a fan yeah. of, but I mean I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I just think it would put us. I mean, we would be on better footing if we had a little bit more energy independence from the rest of the world. But 
you know, it, and again, you're right. It's a free market. So it, this is what happens when we have government interventionalism going on in the free market. This is part of the problem right here. Uh, all right. Uh, that brings us back to uh, the return. We're going to jump back into this here and talk about uh, the new campaign contribution limits. Brad Keithley is our guest, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Uh, please like and share. Uh, if you're on YouTube, please like and follow and subscribe and ring the bell. It uh, doesn't matter where you are. Like and share. Uh, but you can, anyway, do it. Here we go. Jumping back into it. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. Yep, just a pinch. Just a pinch. Good morning. Welcome back to the program. Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets, is our guest. We're continuing to talk about the weekly top three. We're on to number two, which is an initiative from Alaskans for Better Elections that deals with campaign contribution limits. Last year, those all get blown asunder, and we had no campaign contribution limits because it was struck down by the Supreme Court as unconstitutional. And we saw some campaign contributions going into the six-figure range, $100,000 campaign contributions. Brad, you say that this one is good, and uh, so explain why. This is Alaska for Better Elections, which immediately makes me nervous. So tell me why you think this is a good thing and why I should be convinced of that. Well, just a, just one minor correction. It was the Ninth Circuit that struck down. Oh, our I'm campaign, sorry, Ninth Circuit, campaign, not the Supreme Court. Yeah, campaign limits. Um, and 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 the the title for those who are interested, the title in the ADN article, it was an ADN article yesterday, is Alaska ballot measure filed to reestablish campaign contribution limits. There's a link in the first uh, line of the article to uh, to the actual ballot measure itself. What this ballot measure proposes to do, I well. A couple of times last year, we talked. I talked about my concerns with sort of unrestricted, unbridled funding coming into coming into state elections and the and the influence that's that that that's having on uh, state elections. The top twenty percent influence that's having on state elections, and and in part, I think we see that, uh, frankly, in the legislature when we have votes on the PFD. I mean, we have Democrats voting to cut the PFD. Uh, because they don't want to take on the top 20% because the top 20% is a, is a significant part of their, of their campaign contribution. So I think we see some consequence of unbridled uh, uh, campaign contributions. Uh, uh, we've seen some uh, influence or some evidence of unbridled campaign contributions. What this, what this uh, ballot measure would do is essentially update and then send us back to the, to the campaign contributions uh, limits that we had uh, before the Ninth Circuit struck them down. Uh, it would update the amounts so that campaign contributions would be limited to uh, $2,000 uh, each election cycle uh, to a uh, to a, a non-group entity or to a candidate. That's an update from the $500 limit uh, that was in effect when the Ninth Circuit struck it down. And the Ninth Circuit struck it down not 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 necessarily on First Amendment uh, principles, which is where Citizens United comes from. Uh, but struck it down because it was unreasonable restriction on individual uh, individual rights or individual uh, freedom of expression, and 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 in other states uh, and the Ninth Circuit picking up on that in other states um, left the impression that uh, reasonable more reasonable updated limits 
uh, would be acceptable. So this adopts a $2,000 limit uh, per candidate, per person, per election cycle, every two-year election cycle, um, provides that a political party, uh, used, it used to be that a political party could give $1,000 to a candidate. This updates it to $4,000 double uh, in the same fashion that, uh, or quadruple in the same fashion that, uh, to update it. Uh, in the same fashion that the individual limits are, are updated. And this provides uh, at the end uh, that those limits will continually be updated by adjusting them for inflation going forward, which was another another factor that the Ninth Circuit and other courts have looked at uh, in determining whether the re restrictions on campaign contributions uh, are legal. A couple of things that this doesn't do um, is because it can't be done at, at a state level, it doesn't override Citizens United. So while it does limit campaign contributions to um, individuals, uh, made by individuals to directly to candidates in their campaigns, it doesn't limit, doesn't put restrictions on independent ex expenditure groups right. coming in and making independent, ex non-coordinated expenditures in support of any given candidate uh, at the state level, whether the governor or at the legislative level. And I, we've talked on the program before, I believe Citizens United is a problem because it allows unlimited uh, money coming into uh, the system. It allows uh, the, uh, the money to override other good policy influences uh, that ought to be uh, affecting legislation, personal money affecting, uh, affecting legislation. So um, I, I think Citizens United is a problem, but that has to be addressed at the federal level uh, it really can't be addressed at the state level. So it doesn't override um, Citizens United. There's one other thing that uh, that I've got to dig deeper into it to, to really understand how all these come together. But one of the problems uh, that Alaska experienced uh, with the initiative, and we may experience again with this initiative, is that initiatives uh, uh, are under different uh, campaign limits and uh, don't have the disclosure requirements right. uh, that uh, that Citizens United does uh, in some respects. So, and this doesn't fix that. Maybe not. So, well, maybe not a surprise because this is Alaskans for better elections. But, right. Well, but this do, this doesn't fix that, and so it doesn't go as far as I think we need to go in campaign reform. But you know, I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. I this this is a good positive additional step. I think. In, in reducing the influence of main elections. One final thing um, is this also goes back to the old limit uh, that we had in the state that limited the amount of outside money, non-Alaska money that could come into to individual campaigns to 25% uh, uh, of something. Uh, but it, it, limit, it limits the amount of outside money that can come in. To, Which uh, goes to back state. to my previous comment about uh, right. the Democrats raising 78% of their funds from outside sources. Uh, I guess the first thing that I ask myself when I see something like this and it's coming from Alaskans for better elections is my first question is who benefits? Uh, because, you know, it's I'm looking at what they've done in the past and what they're trying to do. So that's always uh, that's always uh, problematic. And what I find ironic about this is they keep going on and on in all of their ballot measures about dark money, which, of course, again, as you just pointed out, is a federal issue. 
the dark money issue is a federal issue. And I would like to see something change on the initiative process as well, because we talked about that here before. If you contribute to a ballot initiative, you as a private citizen are are required to file an APOC report, even though they have all the information. We saw that we put a letter up here that was on that one of our listeners got that they were going to fine him eight thousand dollars for not filing an APOC report for his four or $500 contribution. And um, yeah, some of that stuff needs to change. This doesn't address any of that. No. And, and, you know, that's something, if, if this goes through, that's something the next, next legislature could address. It doesn't necessarily be need to be done by initiative. It would be great if it were included, if the disclosure requirements were included in this, initiative, right. but they aren't. Yeah. So you sort of, ha- you sort of have to say, well, you throw out the baby with the bathwater. And I, and I don't think we do. I, I think, this is a positive step forward, getting restrictions back on individual contributions. We still have to deal with the Citizens United problem, but at least that's sort of put back in a corner, that's sort of put back in the non, non-coordination corner of, you know, they can spend all they want, but they can't coordinate with the campaigns, and we limit the amount of money going to the campaign. I think we need to talk about this more just so that I understand it a little better, and we'll it'll be something we can dive into. All right, four minutes left. Number three of the weekly top three uh, we're going to talk about transparency in the state investment program from the permanent fund itself. A uh, little too little, little too late. I mean, what what are we doing? <laughs> well, the barn door is open. So this is a Frank Murkowski uh, op-ed piece. Maybe the first time I've agreed with Frank in a long time. Uh, but an op-ed piece that that I've taken from. Let's see. This is the Fairbanks News Miner, June eleventh. But I think it's all in the. It's in the other papers as well, and and talks about the need for additional transparency transparency with respect to the permanent funds in state investment program, the pro, the program where they've set aside two hundred million dollars out of the fund to be invested with with money managers who then are going to invest it in in state um, uh, in Alaska uh, investment opportunities. That's I, I've had a problem with that all the way through. I mean, uh, any investment in state by the by the permanent fund. That's what that's what Hammond set up ADA for to do in state investments and, and has restrictions and and limitations on funding and all sorts of things with respect to ADA. There's still problems with ADA, but at least it's in something of a box. Um, and 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 set up the permanent fund to, to look outside the state for the best opportunities uh, that there were that there are. Um, the the in-state investment program set aside this $200 million to for for the permanent fund to start looking at investment opportunities, essentially doubling up on ADA. Um, and I think there's all sorts, there's corruption, there's, there's uh, uh, crony capitalism, there's my friend needs a, needs an investment when, when you help him out. I think there's all sorts of problems with that, that, uh, that I've, that, that have caused me to be concerned about the problem. The barn doors open that, that opened the barn door. What, uh, what Murkowski, uh, Murkowski's piece does is say, okay, Let's keep the barn door there and let's let's have some transparency. Let's let's make the money managers talk about, disclose, and then have a public disclosure of what the money managers are investing in so that we can see, we can have some light on these nooks and crannies of where these dollars are going and see if there is corruption or crony capitalism or friend 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 uh, friendly investment uh, going on here. I you know, that's fine. If since the barn door is open and since we got this $200 million, let's go ahead and get a light on where that's gone. But let's close the barn door. Let's not do that. Let's not put any more money into it. When these funds close out, let's not reinvest that money in it. Let's just 
stop doing that, go back to Hammond's original vision of having the permanent fund corporation investing outside the state and Ada doing the uh, the in-state, in-state investment and, uh, and not go down this road again. But in the meantime, it's nice of Frank to say that we ought to have, you know, the light shined on the in-state investments we've made. Well, and it's this whole thing uh, is what Hammond warned about, creating a politicization of the whole process by doing that in-state investing with the permanent fund. He talked about that specifically and how dangerous that was. And I think we could see some of the things that we've, from the Delta Barley Project to the fish plant to everything else, we've seen some of those boondoggles. You <laughs> Which know. were Hammond's own project. Yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> Uh, anyway, he understood that, I think, more than yeah. more than most. Brad yeah. Keithley, Alaskan for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you for coming on board this morning and joining us. I appreciate it. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. All right, folks, we got more coming up. Hour two is dead ahead. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense. Liberty-based. Free-thinking radio. We return with more Chris Story coming up in hour two, plus some more headlines and discussions. Don't go anywhere. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. We'll see you in a minute. Okay, uh, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. I mean, we've talked about this whole using the permanent fund to invest in state businesses, and politicians, of course, see that as the, oh, that's the ultimate. That's what we need. That's what we have to do. And, uh, and of course, the first thing that happens is who gets paid, right? Who's getting, who's getting their investment taken care of by the permanent fund, et cetera? And, uh, I mean, it's obviously problematic to say the least Brad. you know we got enough we got enough problems with you know the 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 johnny or jimmy going by the dime store window and saying give me that and the parent the parent doing it we got enough problems with that with the with the state budget i mean starting down that road my concern has been since they first started talking about these in-state investments my concern with that is we're putting that sort of you know jimmy walking by the dime store window on steroids we're putting the 60 billion dollar you know, permanent fund, permanent fund uh, out there uh, uh, on on at, at risk of, of that sort of that sort of investment opportunity, pleasing the constituents, pleasing legislators. Please, you know, it's just Alaska is a very small state, and once we start down that road, I just I don't see a good limit on it. So, thank goodness we only limited it to two hundred million dollars. Um, I think Dermot Cole, frankly, has done a good job saying we ought to know where that two hundred million dollars went. I think. Frank Murkowski joining Dermot Cole. Never thought I'd say those words. Frank Murkowski <laughs> joining Dermot Cole in, um, in, in, in saying we ought to shine a light on that. I think all of that is very appropriate. But right. at the end of the day, stop it. Stop right. it at $200 million. Unwind it when, when those investments unwind. I mean, don't, don't crash out of the markets now that we're in there because right. we'll, have, we'll have even bigger losses. But stop it at $200 million. And as those programs unwind, Take that money and go back outside with it. We've got ADA, and and the le- and we control ADA. We control ADA through funding. We control ADA through legislation. Uh, uh, let's not let's not. We, we don't need a second ADA, and we don't need one with so much money coming in and trying to trying to influence the the Alaska economy. 
Just remember, Brad, even a stopped clock is right twice a day, right? I mean, with Dermot Cole and Frank Burkowski, even a stopped clock is right. Um, yeah, no, I think this, uh, again, there's some danger there, and I'm glad that uh, somebody's pointing it out, maybe somebody with a little horsepower. So uh, interesting, uh, interesting stuff. Um, all right, Brad, <clears throat> final thoughts for today on all these things and what we're looking at and what's happening. I mean, the governor, we still haven't heard anything yet on the budget, not- what's happening. I mean, what... I don't know what's going on. I mean, it might be interesting to have Kathy Tilton on and ask her what what's going on here. Because according to the landmine, uh, according to the landmine Sunday column uh, uh, two days ago, the legislature still hasn't transmitted the budget to, to, to Dunleavy. And I don't, you know, he's got 20 days. So we're now not counting something, not counting weekends or Sundays or something. Um, so we're now at a point where if they transmitted it tomorrow, I'm not sure the governor has to act by the time the next uh, next uh, uh, fiscal year starts. So there's there's it, 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 this is too it's too long. There's something weird going on, either on the legislative side, either Tilton's up to something, or the House is up to something because they're the one, they're the transmitting body. It's their bill. Uh, either the the House is up to something or um, uh, the governor's up to something and working something with the House. Uh, it, it's just it's just odd. Maybe it's good. Maybe we'll see at the end that they have some trick play to out trick Bert. Uh, maybe it's good, but it's um, I, I'm just I'm, I'm the the longer it goes, the more curious I am about what's going on. Yeah, I'm wondering what's uh, I'm wondering what's going on. Donna says uh, the governor's team reviews the budget without having the official version in hand. Okay. Yeah. So. So, but I'm I'm wondering he's got a he's got a finite time frame to work here, right? And if he does decide to veto a bunch, is he just running out the clock to the till the end of the year so that there's no potential shutdown? Or I mean, I'm curious as to what is there. A, I don't even know. Is there a limit on when the budget has to be transmitted? Is there a time frame, or is it just they can hold on till to the last day, or what? I I, lo- I looked and I can't find a limit on I, I can't find a govern uh, a governing die. I mean it's so that so you the 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 body can hold on to the bill to correct technical errors and typos and you know miscalculations and that sort of stuff. They can't make substantive changes, but they but they want to make sure it's a good bill when it goes. Um, well, you know we're what we're about a month past the end of the session, aren't we? And and we still don't have that. The whole bill would have had to have been typos to sort of explain right. it, explain it in that fashion. So, I, I understand the governor's. I understand the governor can be looking at it, but you know, there's a there's a process we're supposed to be going through, and this seems to be this seems to be a, a significant break with the process. Well, I'm going to be. I'm watching. Uh, you know, I'm watching to see because I, I keep waiting to see. I'm you know, fingers crossed. I have my hopes up that maybe the governor will do something to you know squash some of the arrogance that we've seen out of the Senate. But, but I don't know. I just don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be. Uh, it, we, we go ahead. We may be here in July saying, "Oh boy, weren't they smart by doing it this way?" And, I mean, they may be Bert, Bert in a corner, but. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not trans, talking about transparency. It's not transparent what the hell's going on. Yeah, we're so. four days away from it being 30 days. And we're, what is this? Uh, we're 15, 16, 17 days away from the end of the fiscal year. So this could get interesting. <laughs> I mean, it could, it could be, could be to back it up and set it up so that the governor makes the vetoes on, June 30 and really doesn't give the legislature much opportunity or, or 
theoretically doesn't give the legislature much opportunity to react to it, but they still could. I mean, they could come back and they could override the vetoes and they could, you know, put the money in the budget, even though the fiscal year has already started. So it's not, I, I just don't, I, I'll be curious. It's more a matter of curious. It, it's not outrage right now. It's more a matter of curiosity about about what the tactic is uh, to, to set it up this way. All right, Brad, thank you so much for coming on board. I appreciate it, my friend. Good to see you. Michael, as always, thanks for having me. Folks, we are out of time for right now. Our two dead ahead, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. thing back in its holster we haven't gone anywhere i don't understand check out the michaeldukeshow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast welcome to the party pal the, the michael dukes show the greed and the entitlement is astounding to me what more could you want from a low-budget radio program this is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, yeah, live around the world on that thing we call the Internet. And live across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello, good morning, welcome to the program, and thanks for coming in and joining us. Uh, Hour two of the big radio show, it is the Tuesday edition. Uh, of the Michael Duke show. And we just finished up with Brad Keithley from Alaskans for sustainable budgets, the weekly top three. If you missed it, you can go back and you can uh, listen to it on the podcast, which will be available this morning, wherever you find good podcast, Castbox, Stitcher, uh, tune in radio, uh, iTunes, and of course, Spotify. Yeah, baby. Spotify. It's my favorite. You can go check it out. And uh, get a link, or you can go back to Facebook and rewatch the video and get uh, all the behind the scenes stuff and everything else. It's gonna be, um, it's gonna be good, and uh, I'm looking, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, but uh, now that we finish with Brad, we've got a whole another hour. Chris Story is gonna be joining us here in about uh, oh I don't know ten twelve minutes, and we'll be talking with him. We'll be getting our weekly. Uh, it's an uplifting story time. Up, uplifting. It's our betterment segment. Chris comes in and um, in in and helps us get our get ourselves right. Get ourselves right. It's always fun. I always enjoy it with Chris, and so I'm looking forward to what's uh, what's going on. Um, we got some headlines here that we've been talking about, and we will continue uh, into uh, into some of that. Uh, including uh, a continued discussion on um, um, uh, continued uh, discussion on the uh, girls' sports, 
the girls being only girl sports instead of girl boy sports and more. We'll talk about that. And a brand new investigation by the Legislative Ethics Committee on Representative David Eastman. I just, you, you cannot make this stuff up, folks. Now, look, David Eastman and I disagree on, not necessarily on the goals, but on the methodology, right? I don't agree a lot of times with Eastman's methodology. But at some point, you got to be like, boy, this just seems punitive. Just the, just punitive. The Legislative Ethics Committee is now investigating two new complaints against Representative David Eastman. Uh, according to a uh, Monday hearing that happened yesterday, the complaints involved allegations that Eastman used state resources for a partisan political purpose and also improperly solicited donations for a previously existing legal defense campaign during the legislative session. Um, <clears throat> both of those uh, complaints will be moved forward into an investigation, according to Joyce Anderson, who's the chair of the House Subcommittee on Legislative Ethics. Um, this committee, by the way, is very secretive. Both the complaints and the results of the investigations are normally kept confidential under state law unless the recipient of the complaint waives that privilege. Now, David Eastman said in a text message to James Brooks uh, over at the Alaska Beacon, that uh, he said, I have waived confidentiality protections for these and other complaints because too often political activists are able to file complaints behind closed doors with zero public accountability for their ongoing efforts to thwart the will of the public. But, Brooks says, despite the waiver, staff for the Ethics Committee said they were unable to release copies of the complaint, even though that's what the statute says that they are able to, you know, despite informed of that fact, Eastman responded saying the statute is explicit that once confidentiality has been waived, the public has access to those documents. They can stonewall, but they do so in direct violation of the statute. It wouldn't be the first time they've delayed access. They've also tried that when I was on the committee. So... So he's gone ahead and waived the confidentiality so that it could all be out there. And yet they continue to refuse to publicly disclose what's going on. That's that's insane. That's absolutely insane that they just ignore the statute when it's put. For, I mean, somebody needs to somebody needs to file a, a lawsuit to say you're violating under a FOIA that you're violating the uh, the statute in that um, under the committee's typical procedure the complaints will be investigated by attorneys previously hired under contract and at a future meeting the committee will decide whether to dismiss the complaints or compile findings of fact and create some kind of possible punishment but those decisions are not always made public in 2020, for example, the committee published the result of only one complaint. It was issued against Senator Lyman Hoffman. But the file number for the complaint ends in 003, indicating that there were at least two other complaints were filed but not publicly released. And uh, it's it says, I mean, this is secretive. 
Yeah, that's like Machiavellian. That's like in the shadows kind of stuff. And we know that lawfare is a thing, right? That's legal warfare against elected officials. It's been used in the past, and especially with the secrecy clauses where you can't face your accuser, you can't figure out what's going on. That's troubling. Uh, At least one of the two complaints against Eastman involved a website called davidlegal.org, which is uh, it was a website that contained a link soliciting donations to pay for um, Eastman's legal defense fund in a lawsuit that alleged he violated the Constitution's disloyalty clause with his membership to Oath Keepers. Now, a superior court judge ruled that he did not violate the disloyalty clause, and the person who filed the lawsuit declined to appeal. But uh, David Legal, apparently, according to the Internet Archive, was online during the legislative session, which means he was actively soliciting donations during the legislative session, which is a no-no. Usually it's uh, uh, soliciting donations for a campaign. So I don't know if there's uh, I don't know if there's. If there's a difference because he was soliciting it for legal uh, fees versus campaign contributions. So I don't know if there's a I don't know if there's a difference there, Um, but he only he only raised about a thousand bucks out of a three hundred thousand dollar goal. Damn, that's expensive. That's a that's a that's a thing. This is the third time that Eastman's been subject to ethics complaints since he started in 2017. Uh, But I just got to say that. The whole fact that he has waived confidentiality and the committee refuses to release copies of the complaints tells me something. Where there's smoke, there's fire, right? I mean, again, I may not agree with the way he does things or anything. I mean, even if I totally disagreed with his with his premise, let alone his his process, I would still be like, wait a second, the. This is we need to know who is who is complaining about this. What is the complaint? And we need to have all this stuff out there in the public eye. And they're stonewalling. That's not a good look for something that has ethics in the title. The ethics committee. That's not a good look for a committee that says uh, ethics committee. And yet we're not going to follow the law. That uh, just doesn't set a doesn't set a good precedent. I'm just I'm just saying doesn't set a good precedent. Yesterday we talked about the port of she of of Seattle Seattle the port of Seattle the port of Seattle shutting down its cargo operations on Saturday. This is due to an ongoing labor conflict uh, with the uh, <clears throat> International Longshore and Warehouse Union. Um. About 90% of Alaska's goods arrive by ship on the barge, or most of it comes from Seattle. Yesterday, we talked about it, and then late yesterday, the Alaska Public Media put out a story from uh, Angela Denning that uh, talked with Jim Yeager, who is the spokesperson for the Port of Anchorage. And he had some comments to kind of line some of this stuff out. He said, any impact on shipping out of Seattle-Tacoma is going to have an impact on Alaska just because, it, uh, just because we're getting all of our goods there or a vast majority. He said about half the goods, now 90% of Alaska's stuff arrives uh, from ship and comes from most of it comes from Seattle. He said once it hits the port of Anchorage, about half stay in Anchorage and the other half get distributed throughout the uh, state. 
Um, Yeager said the extent of the impact in Alaska won't be known for a while, but he said it will uh, likely be more of an inconvenience, like a minor delay of getting good into shelves. He said the bulk of the slowdown is in international cargo, so it won't be a huge hit to Alaska. Um, he said uh, it's. He said uh, he didn't think it was going to be terrible, uh, and he stressed that it's important for Alaskans not to panic shop, as some did buying products like toilet paper during the pandemic. That could only make things worse. Nothing makes me more panicky than somebody telling me, "Don't panic; you'll only make things worse." I'm well. I mean, I'm not panicky, but <clears throat> nothing makes me more uh, uh, convinced that I probably should stock up on a few things when people say, don't stock up, that'll make things worse. Well, that just tells me that there's still not enough stuff on the shelf, and we probably should do something about that. I'm just like, (laughs) you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be TP. It could be, you know, some canned goods or something like that. But uh, no word yet, no word yet on when the port... Um, will reopen or when the solution, when they're going to solve this problem uh, over the labor shortage or the labor contract. Um, he mentions that any kind of panic buying could create more problems. He says it took six, six months to get uh, that, uh, sort of get that uh, sorted out, the whole toilet paper pandemic thing. He said that whipsaw action of the supply chain. Could that happen? You bet it could. Will it happen? Oh, I bet with some goods it does. Which, again, does not fill me with confidence, Mr. Yeager. Again, I'm just suggesting that if you want to, you know, I'm not saying go out and buy the store out. I'm just saying you may want to buy a few more cans of beans or something to put on the shelf in your home for things that you already cook. Ooh, man, seven can soup? That sounds good right now. Seven can soup is a soup that you make with literally seven seven cans of stuff. It's delicious. And it's easy. And uh, for us, it's 14 can soup because we got enough people in the house to do it. But seven can soup, you could just go get the ingredients for that, for at least two or three uh, worth of that. That'd be great. As for the strike itself, Yeager said there are different unions in Alaska and it won't affect the port workers here. But again, no word on when it will be open down on the uh, down in Seattle. So pay attention to that. Pay attention. All right. Well, we are we're headed to the break. We're headed to the break. We got more coming up. Chris Story is going to be joining us. The man from Homer. Got to get our positivity update. Positivity update for the week. And we will continue. The Michael Duke show. Common sense, liberty-based. Free thinking radio. Back with more and Chris Story right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay. Uh, we're getting ready here to uh, jump into it. 
Uh, let me go back to see what you guys have been saying. Uh, said it used time compression. They're going to transmit it at the last minute. Um, why stoop to the Senate's tactics, Tawny says. Well, because I guess it's one of the few ways you can push back. Um, let's see. Uh, using ethics and the legislature in the same sentence is an oxymoron. <laughs> uh, who filed the complaints against Eastman? Elise, ouch, my hand hurts from Dong Young squeezing it, Galvin. Remember that? Yeah. I mean, look, this is the, again, lawfare is a thing. A lawfare is definitely a thing. Um, going thing, uh, going down here, going down here. Uh, Kim says you better stock your shelves. I mean, you know, your shelves should already be stocked, but yeah, you should probably throw a few more cans on just in case. Uh, Tawny says she wants the recipe for seven can soup. Seven can soup is super simple. Uh, so first thing you need is, um, no bean chili, a can of no bean chili, a can of white corn, can of yellow corn, that's three, uh, a can of kidney beans, can of pinto beans, that's five. Um, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, uh, there's two more, there's two more kinds of beans in there. I can't remember if it's navy beans. It's basically bean soup. It's basically bean soup. So then you throw it all together. Oh, uh, crushed tomatoes. That was the other thing. Crushed tomatoes, a can of crushed tomatoes or diced tomatoes. So that's the seven cans. And then you put it all in a pot. You start to let it cook. And then for seven cans, you put in half a block of Velveeta cheese. Damn. It's so good. So for a full, for, for a four 14 can, you put a whole brick of Velveeta cheese in there. And it is delicious. Absolutely delicious. There you go, Harold. There's your, there's your cooking segment right there. There's your cooking segment. It comes from a can. Ooh, says Jeannie. You could ooh all you want. It is delicious. I mean, canned goods, canned food is canned food is canned food. All right. Um, let me, uh, let's see if we can get uh, Mr. Story on the phone. Let's see what's going on here. Um, we'll try this. Come on. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's not ringing. Damn it. Come on. This thing is killing me. Are you there, Mr. St are you there, Mr. Story? Yes, sir. Roger Dodger. I'm going to try and call you one back one more time here because this is not co connecting to my roadcaster. So let's uh, try this again here one more time and see if we can get it. Um, Chris, can you call me? Can you call me instead? Because this is just yes. not working. Let's try this again. All right. We'll try it one more time. We'll see if we can get Chris Story on the phone one more time. Come on. And there we go. He's calling me. Can you hear me? Hello? Oh, my God. Um, <clears throat> it's not... Uh, I mean, I'm playing stuff, but it's not working. Um, we got about a minute here, Chris. I'm going to try and call you right. I'm going to try something, and I'm going to call you right back, okay? Um, all right, let me try this real quick to see what's going on here. Come on. Come on. 
Oh, my Lord. The Scots had a suspended. Okay, well, that works. And uh, that works. Okay. Let's try this again one more time. <laughs> we might have to have Chris. Hey, look at that. I don't Magic. I don't know what's going on, but that's just irritating. All right, hold the line, my friend. We're going to be right back to you mm-hmm. here. We're 20 seconds out. Uh, the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share. Like and follow. Do all the youtube stuff and everything else. Let's uh, let's. Let's get it going on. Here uh, here we go. Uh, like I said, like and share. Let's do it. Okay. Well, that was painful. I don't know. I was having some kind of technical issue. My phone was not connecting where it was supposed to connect. I don't know why. Just one of those things. Uh, Anyway, joining me right now on the telephone, finally, is the one, the only Chris Story, the man from Homer. Good morning, my friend. How are you? uh, How are you doing today? Good morning, Michael. I'm on top of the world, right where you thought right, you'd find me. Right, right where I left you last time. You haven't moved. That's right. I've been waiting here. You've I haven't been, done a thing since been, last Tuesday. Been waiting patiently for me to come in and talk with you. Um, Getting bed sores, but I'll turn now. <laughs> just turn, yeah, just turn over, you know, a little salve. You'll be, you'll be fine. It'll be great. Um, well, so, uh, Chris, I have been hyping you up to the whole crowd and telling people about how you bring joy to millions and uh and you know give us a, a reason and 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 to delve into the whole idea of positivity and betterment and everything else so god i hope you live up to the hype this morning what is the uh what it, i mean no pressure or anything what no, I, what no. is your topic for today mr story creating wealth in times like these S- that's kind of universal, right? Because times like these could mean anything. It could be nine, it could be times of feast or times of famine. Um, so creating wealth in times like these, speak to I guess let's speak to specificity on this, shall we? What uh, what are we talking about? Well, one of my favorite Paul Harvey quotes, and I've been running a segment on top of the world for for years called Times Like These, and essentially it's just a, a look back in history. Paul Harvey said, the thing about times like these is there have always been times like these. To your point, feast or famine, abundance or lack. I'm reading a really terrific book right now called Six Tires, No Plan. It's the Bruce Hawley story, and Bruce started Discount Tires, over 800 stores now nationwide, and his business is is multi-billion dollar business, but he started literally with no money, no plan, and only six tires in 1956. And you think about times like those, okay, it's post-Korean War, post-World War II, uh, still in the Cold War, um, his his electric bill, think about this, his very first store that he opened with literally six 
tires is all he had for inventory. <laughs> his electric bill was a dollar a month. You think a dollar a month? It doesn't matter when you're only profiting, see, 25 cents for a tire. It's all relative. Right. And so there's no, no sense in bemoaning the interest rate of the day or the inflation rate. All right, do what you can do. Reach out to your Congress people and your senators and the people in, of influence. Do what you can do where you are with what you've got. But then you have to be responsible for you. Imagine anybody in, in history, in time, could have said, well, in times like these, I, man, Jimmy Carter's president, it's 12% average interest rate right now. I'm not going to invest. I'm not going to start a business. In times like these, well, this is there, Jimmy Carter just said there was a malaise across the country. I, this would be the wrong time. Well, Reagan took over, and now we have incredible uh, tax incentives and things going on, but we're still fighting the hyperinflation and, and those Russians, all oh, the Russians. And times, I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold off. And we can keep doing that and keep playing that game. But when will it be the right time? Somebody just asked me recently about getting into a particular career. And they said, what do you think? Is this the right time? He said, absolutely not. It's not the right time. <laughs> but if you have a passion to do that, this is the only time with which you can do it. You have to do it. And I think that's the same with investing. Um, one of my favorite slogans that I coined, and yes, I will trademark this. You can't save your way to a fortune, but you can invest your way to one if you can learn to save. So if this is the season for you to save a little, learn a lot, and then invest later, fine. But if you've already done the latter and you're waiting, or the former, and you're waiting to do the latter for the right time, this is the wake-up call. You can create wealth in times like these right now, right here, and right where you are with whatever you've got. This is the only time to start for you if you're if you're waiting and if you're waiting to add to your portfolio or add to your to your life enriching your life in some way this is sort of a call out to you right now to get started because in times like these there have always been times like these it's interesting uh because you know in hindsight you look at some of these people who started businesses or invested or things like that and in hindsight, you go back and you go, oh, man, that was a genius play because the markets were doing this or this was happening or that was happening. And, uh, you know, that was a genius play to do that in hindsight. At the time, people look at them and go, are you crazy? This is not the time. You need to batten down the hatches. And, do and you know, I'm always reminded of uh, during the Great Depression, you know, there were companies that were just slamming the lid on everything, investment, advertising, all this kind of stuff. But you look at companies like Campbell Soup, Kellogg's, Wrigley Spearmint Gum. Those were companies that are still here today that during the Great Depression, they did they kept doing what everybody said was crazy. They stayed the course. They kept the advertising up. They kept doing those kind of things. They kept you know pursuing business as usual. And today they are the dominant producers in the markets of those products. And you're like, that's because in hindsight, it all looks intelligent. So at the time, they, you know, people thought they were crazy. So you have to make you have to make it where you're at, regardless of what's going on around you, right? Absolutely. And there's a, I don't want to call it a, a nihilist viewpoint, but maybe that. What's the? I mean, what's the point? You, you need some younger people today that are thinking about maybe having children, maybe not. I mean, really in in today's world, is that a responsible thing to bring somebody up? Well, it's always 
been that way. There's always been, it's, it's like having children. There's never been the right time or the perfect time. If you wait for the perfect time and all the stars align, you might miss that, that window. And that's, that's what I love about, you know, this concept of, of living in the present, not for the present, but living in the present with an eye to the future and based on what you've learned in the past or through other people's better, better yet, even better, other people's experiences that you've been able to learn from and maybe less painful for yourself. It is what gets me really excited is, is the idea and the reason I'm so passionate about the backyard millionaire formula is that it puts in your control your own destiny, your own future, your own ability to control and maintain your destiny and your wealth into the future. And as Buckminster Fuller called it, prosperity, which is essentially wealth coming to you into the future without you having to work for it. And that doesn't mean that it's 100% passive. There's always, I interviewed a guy um, last week on my show. It's available on my website. He's really great. His name is Mark Halpin. And he, the tagline is that he went from a Russian prison to millionaire in his own backyard. Um, but he talks about this idea of, you know, passive wealth. And of course, he likened it to real estate, even though that's not really the business he's in, or at least what we think he's in. It's still something that he has 100% control over. And that idea of prosperity coming to you into the future without working or at least sweating for it every day. That's what gets me excited about the four home formula. And the reason I've committed myself to helping 2,000 people achieve that in the next two years. Uh, I mean, this is, you know, this, this is the the good stuff. Uh, a lot of times I think, you know, we talk about, we talk about the spirit, the universal mind, whatever you want to call it. Last week we talked about the super consciousness, right? I mean, the, 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 the difference between the subconscious, your conscious mind, your subconscious mind, and the super consciousness where you're kind of, you know, tapping into that kind of, uh, universal mastermind of people around the, you know, around the globe that are doing things. And sometimes something will come to you like, now's the time for you to do X, invest, start a business, do something like this. And everyone around you could be saying, no, 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 it's not the time. But if you have got your mind right and you're tapped into that, you may be um, providing a service that you didn't even know was needed at that time, right? I mean, th this is this is where it's important that you have your own mind right and your own ducks in a row so that when people come to you and say, you shouldn't do that, that's insane, you can say either, yes, you're right, or no, I'm pretty convinced that this is what I need to be doing. And the more, you know, it is a really good point you make because there will be, there's always been naysayers, always people that will warn you off of. And I've been in that camp. I remember um, a young guy was thinking about leaving this great job. He had a really terrific job, just started a family, had a terrific job, thinking about starting his own business. And I, I didn't tell him not to, but the advice was so just risk oriented like are you sure you want to give up the security and i was just trying to give him all of the and thank goodness he didn't listen to me because he's now got a thriving very large business but it wasn't as though i was saying oh you're you aren't capable or this or that i was just i was worried for him and i couldn't help but share that fear with him thank goodness again he was resilient enough not to listen and i've been in that same boat where there's been moves i've made that maybe those in my vicinity would have thought or maybe even did warn me or try to warn me off of 
And but I just followed my own gut and my own instinct. And there's been times that I wished I had acted. And that's again learning from the past and going, okay, I've been here before. I remember missing this opportunity because of fear, be it my own subconscious mind talking to me or those in my circle. And I've been able to to look past it now and, and I'll make my own plan. Tiffany and I made one of one of my happiest investments I've made in the last few years. We made right at the height of the beginning of 2020 pandemic where we didn't know what the world was going to do, but we made the decision and we're so grateful that we did. And it's been it's been a really terrific opportunity to leverage our way forward just for having made that one decision when the rest of the world, if we just watched the news, might have been inclining towards hold on, stop, retreat, right. retract. This is the time to hold. And we moved forward. And so I'm grateful for that. So you bring up a good point that we do have people in our sphere, our circle, or even in our own mind, living in the back of our mind. My uncle, whose uh, triplex got foreclosed on in 1982, at the, you know, at a terrible time. And, and that could be living with you and almost like a shadow of their failure or their fears overcasting your day. And that's not necessary for you. So <clears throat> like I normally do, let's break it down for the cheap seats here for people like me who need to be talked to like I'm five. If I want to earn wealth, if I want to create wealth in times like these, how do I get started, Chris? First of all, accept the, the concept that there's always been times like these. Set that aside. Interest rates have always been too high. Prices have always been too high. Um, the idea that there's a fortune waiting for you in your own backyard, if you just accept that, and if you look around any neighborhood, any area, wherever you are right now, and you do, within where you can cast your eyes, recognize there's millions of dollars worth of real estate right here, right near you, you only need a portion of it. And if you accept that that portion or that small subset of this inventory could be yours, then you'll set about a plan. Maybe it needs to be to save. Maybe you're planning to start with talking to somebody in the mortgage world, finding out what your credit is or how to repair it or how to improve it, how to get some hard money. Remember what Dolph DeRoos said, that it's the formula is 100, 10, 3, 1. This isn't fast. You might look at 100 properties, then it leads to 10 you investigate more closely, three you take a strong look at or make offers on and end up with one. So if you take time out of it, you're not in a rush. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And education, every piece of education you can get in the meantime will build and bolster your ability to go through even worse times or better yet, in the best of times is when we make our biggest mistakes because we think we can't fail or this will never change. Right. Understanding that this is a cycle and it's all, this is an abundant world. You live in an abundant world. And if right. you make your mind up that this is an abundant universe, then that's what's going to come your way. I think you make a valid point. When times are good, that's when you feel like you can't fail. And that might be the time to be even more cautious than, than maybe in times of want or in times yeah. of, uh, that are a little more stressful. And Brian in the chat room says, every team needs an Eeyore. It forces evaluation. And, and while I agree with that, that you need to have a little bit of practical, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, analytical thinking on some of this. Sometimes you need that, that voice of the, the E or the negativity just to make you stop for a second and go, am I really doing the right thing? Am I really doing it? But you've got to go with your gut in the long run and you've got to be smart about it. As long as that E or has actually done something versus the, the negativity of somebody who's 
always just lived in their own shadow. And so Paul Harvey, to quote him again, said, they've never built a statue of a critic. So I'll listen to somebody who's been there and done that, bought the T-shirt, and then gives advice from their perspective. That's right. an Eeyore that I would want in my council. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. Chris Story, the man from Homer, he's the author of the book, The Backyard Millionaire. He's also got a little bit of a, a little pamphlet, brochure, booklet that uh, puts you on the road to the backyard millionaire. It's called The Millionaire Maker. And uh, I think he'd be happy to send it to you, Chris. You want to send it out to some folks if they want it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Just send me your email address at 907-299-7653. And I'll send that PDF on to you. It's the uh, six steps to your first four homes. All right. Uh, the the Millionaire Maker. Uh, again, Chris Story, <clears throat> author of m many books, Born to Live, The Backyard Million Acre, Making of Man, and The Watchman. Uh, you can find all of this at ilovehomeralaska.com. And, of course, at Amazon or wherever books are sold. And, of course, you can listen to him every Tuesday and Thursday right here on the stations on the peninsula. If you guys are up in Fairbanks and listening, you can listen to him and get his podcast as well at ilovehomeralaska.com. Chris Story, thank you for being part of it today, my friend. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you, Michael. Hold the line. Don't hang up. Whatever you do, I'll never get you back. Folks, we got more coming up. Final segment dead ahead, The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Listen to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're going to be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Chris Story, our guest. Uh, final thoughts, final, uh, final. I just wanted to give you the last bite, Chris. Any final thoughts here for us as we're trying to develop, um, you know, a little bit of wealth in times like these? I think a guy called Dr. Joseph Murphy, he was an Irish immigrant to America. And he, he did a lot of writing in the 50s and 60s. He, he compared wealth to the tide, that it ebbs and flows. But understand it always comes back in, goes out, comes back in. And he's you drawing an analogy of cycles. There are cycles. There are times to buy. There's times to hold. There's times to, you know, it's Kenny Rogers. You got to know when to hold them, when to fold them. Jim Rohn said, if, if somebody panics when they see the sunset, you know they're new. And I think it's the same thing here. There's no sense in panicking at times like these. We've always seen them. We've seen the ebb and flow of the economy, of the market. We've seen uh, times of shortage. We've seen times of abundance. You have to have a mindset of abundance and take risks accordingly. And risk-taking, and Tiffany and I were just chatting the other day, that there are some people that are so risk tolerant, they just will swing for the fences. I was listening to an interview with the woman who created Cauliflower. It's a cauliflower pizza crust, and and uh, she's grown that into a, a what three four hundred million dollar business. She started it when she was fifty two. She left an incredible corporate practice. For she had no reason to do this, but she left her incredible corporate job. And she was making excellent money, and she decided to risk 
everything, including her home, on this bet, and it paid off. And then you have some people that won't, won't ever cross the street for the, you know, just too, too risk averse. And so, but you have to take risks accordingly to your own personality or your whatever, you know, maybe if you can't sleep at night, maybe you should not own four homes. Maybe there's another investment you should make if, if that just that idea keeps you up at night. But I think for the person I'm talking to, they understand that they want to control their destiny, their wealth, and it's in their hands. And, and yeah, they just look at the world through the eyes of an abundant universe and take risks accordingly. That's what I suggest. Uh, Brian asked, what was the name of the book again about the six tires? What was the name of that book? It literally, you just said it. Six tires, no plan. Six tires, no plan. Michael Rosenbaum is the author. In fact, I just communicated with Michael over the weekend. I reached out to him and said, I'm so enjoying your book. Uh, I'd love to have you as a guest on my show. And he, he said, well, said, that's, you know, he thanked me for the, the praise and the kind words. And he said, you know, I, I, I don't work for money anymore. I've retired and I'm I'm just helping startups and, and uh, underprivileged business people in Chicago. And he goes, I, I don't know, could I be of any value to your audience? And I said, oh, of course you could. I mean, just <laughs> his, anyway, he's a great author. He tells the story of Bruce Hawley um, like a story. He's a storyteller, even though this is there's a real life going from zero to minus seventeen thousand dollars. You know, seventeen thousand dollars in debt in 1959 might as well be a million today right and yet he started with no plan no business plan and these six tires and uh, built a a multi-billion dollar nationwide business it's a great book i highly recommend it. it's a good story six tires and no plan all right so no plan no plan, no plan at all yeah. uh mm -hmm. all right well chris story forward me on that information i'd love to i'd love to talk to to him as well we're coming out of the political season chris and quite honestly i'm ready to talk about some other things you know and i, I mark cameron the the alaskan author uh is working on a list of alaskan authors for me to try and work my way through uh, but, uh, you know, it always be nice to have a little bit more, uh, info and stuff. So it's, it's good to have folks like that on. So it's good to have folks like you on. It's amazing. It's amazing how that works. Uh, thank you. My I have Robert, Robert, G, Robert G. Uh, G Allen joins me on Thursday. The guy that, that started, uh, the no money down movement and creating wealth, the book creating wealth. Anyway, he joins me Thursday, um, so I'll send you a link to that show too, Michael. I think you enjoy listening. Yeah, to no, absolutely. I always, I always get something out of whatever you're doing. So that's, I mean, it's good for me, uh, not necessarily good for you, but good for me that uh, I'm doing that. So, Chris, thank you for, <laughs> All right, Michael. thank you for your patience this morning. I don't know what was going on with my phone, but I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you sticking with us and uh, and coming on board. Thank you. It was awesome. Thank you. Have a Catch great, later. have a great day. Um, all right, Chris Story. The man from Homer. Yes, that's that's what it's all about. Jeannie says, I'm ready to talk about fishing, foraging and farming. Uh, yeah, you know, sometimes again, I'm 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 about done with the whole political thing for the most part. I definitely enjoy talking about some of the major headlines. But I think we need to I'm going to try and bring on some other authors and some other folks as well. It's going to be uh, it's going to be uh, it's going to be good stuff. All right, we are 20 seconds out from rejoining the radio and ready to rock and roll. Thank you for sticking with us. Chris Story, of course, always bringing us some sort of positivity to do our thing. Um, let's go. Let's, let's do this. 
The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Like and share, like and follow. Here we go. Okay, good morning. And welcome back to the big radio broadcast. Two hours, the fastest two hours in radio. It's what we like to do here on the Michael Duke Show. Uh, don't forget, you can always drop me an email if you'd like. Me at MichaelDukeShow.com. M-E at MichaelDukeShow.com. We'd love to hear from you and uh, talk with you about, well, you know, whatever. So throw me an email if you uh, would like. Um, continuing our discussions now, Chris Story just finished up with us. Uh, if you haven't sent him a text message yet and you'd like to get his, um, get his little, uh, booklet, the millionaire maker, uh, you could just send him a text with your email address to 907-299-7653, 907-299-7653. He promises not to spam you if you send him the email address. That's that's a great <laughs> it's a great thing. We were just talking with Chris during the uh, during the break, and uh, he's going to pass me on some information on some different authors uh, because I'm ready. I mean, we're kind of in that off season now, off political season. We're not. Uh, it's not necessarily a big election year, so we are, uh, you know, going to talk uh, with some authors and some other things. I, I'm just I'm ready. And, and in fact, folks in the chat room are all about. <laughs> They're like, uh, what Jeannie says, I'm ready to talk about fishing, foraging, and farming, which I think are all great topics that, you know, we should be discussing. I mean, the What If Wednesday segments um, really kind of bring in that whole idea of self-sufficiency. I mean, we talk about victory gardens, you know, which are, for those of you who don't know, that was during the war, uh, World War II. Uh, specifically, the U.S. government was suggesting that people create victory gardens in their backyards or on their sometimes on their patios. In some uh, places, it was on their on their decks, their porches, or their fire escapes outside their apartment. Just you know, creating a little more food, a little more sustainability, and that's something that I think we can uh, we should uh, jump into. Um, square foot gardening is a big thing that uh, that we could talk about. Uh, maybe we should get some expert on it. I've done it. It's it's an amazing setup. Square foot gardening, uh, creating little four by four foot uh, square boxes with uh, you know up on sawhorses. With it's a great way to farm. It's a great well farm. It's a great way to garden um, because you don't you know the one thing I hate about gardening was the hoeing and the bending over and the weeding and all that kind of stuff. And this is all right at you know you just it's right at waist height. You just do it right there. It's super super cool. Um, it is, uh, it, it's, it's fun stuff. So we're looking, you know, we're looking for different guests coming up here as we, uh, as we move forward. Last week, we talked to Richard uh, McPherson about, uh, the nuclear energy and the, uh, the molten salt nuclear battery. I thought that was a fascinating topic and, uh, I'd like to have more discussions on that. Maybe on, um, some alternative energies too. 
I mean, you want to talk about solar panel backups or hydro or wind for your remote cabin site or something like that, or even just for uh, backup power um, in your in your home. I think those are cool topics to and and really kind of topical to us here in Alaska because we are we are at the end of the chain. I mean, if this if this port of Seattle thing is reminding us of anything is that we are definitely out at the end of the supply chain and we should probably be uh, we probably should be paying closer attention to that. Um, I, I again, the whole idea of uh, the whole idea of uh, of you know, running a hydro setup next to your place by the stream. Or, uh, in fact, uh, McPherson talked about geothermal power, uh, you know, ground loop heating and geothermal power. Those are just, it's all very, very cool stuff. So it's, it's good. Um, what do we, uh, what, what do we got here in the final segment? Not, not much to talk about here in the final segment of the show today, other than, you know, I, I will say this, um, I, you know, we reached this point of the year where halfway through the year almost, how did that happen? You know, how, how did that, how, how did that happen? I, I just, I just don't know, but, uh, it means that, uh, you know, we're halfway through the year and the politics, everything still stays the same. We're still talking about all those things, but maybe we can bring a little more, uh, maybe we can bring a little more joy or a little more interest to the discussion with some of these different guests. I mean, there's more to life than politics. That's, that's it for sure. Although I will say that there are many listeners out there who I'm sure just, they lived to be, they live to be outraged. Right. I've we've done some betterment segments and some other things. And, uh, you know, the listenership is probably not quite as there as they would be if we were talking about, oh, something stirring and maddening and like national politics or something. But, you know, again, you've got to look to your life and decide, is there more? Can I make a difference in some of these things? If not, then maybe I should focus on something else. Maybe I should focus on, you know, something more positive and more building. So I think that's what we'll. I think that's what we'll uh, we'll we'll keep things going on in that direction. Um, do I got anything else? What was the last thing that I was uh, going to talk about this morning? I had a bunch of news stories, and there was one. Uh, oh, here it is. This is the one. Um, just on the most ridiculous quote of the day. Let me just let me just throw this out there. This is the most ridiculous quote of the day. Yesterday, we talked about the Alaska Sports Association and the State Board of Education are now voting to regulate the idea of putting transgendered girls into girls' sports, and they're going to eliminate that. They're gonna, they are gonna they put that up for public comment and everything else. Um, and in the most ridiculous quote of the day, Senator Loki Tobin. Thank you for coming on board and uh, be a part of it with us today, Senator. She's leading the charge against gender-specific bathrooms and, of course, the fact that trans girls should not compete against uh, biological regular girls. I mean, I'm sure that's offensive to somebody, but that's what it is. She likened this push to change the high school sports. She likened it to terrorism. I, I kid you. I kid you not. She likened it to terrorism. She said, and I quote, 
The way this kind of terrorism works is that it only punishes expression. It condemns identities. It's like burning a cross on somebody's lawn. It's an attempt to frighten people into compliance and submission. I mean, I would think that there would be some people, um, uh, some minorities especially, when she talks about burning a cross on somebody's lawn, I would say that this is nothing like burning a cross on somebody's lawn. I mean, that's a whole different mindset and a whole different feel for someone. Maybe she should talk to some folks who were born and raised in the South, uh, you know, who are minorities, uh, who basically maybe had something like that happen. And I'd love for her to say something like that to their face. This is like burning a cross on somebody's lawn. It's terrorism. The fact that they want the biological girls to be able to compete amongst themselves versus competing with boys who think they're girls. I mean, if you want, look, let me be clear. If you want to, if you feel like you're a female, if you feel like you want to identify, that is totally your right. But to make everyone else around you have to comply with that notion makes no sense whatsoever. And in fact, it infringes on the rights in the fact of, in the in the point of this sporting stuff, it infringes on the rights of the girls who are competing in those sports. Remember, that's what libertarianism is about. Do what you want. You want to identify as a toaster or, or whatever? You can. Just don't force everyone around you to comply with your madness. But And if you don't agree, you're a terrorist. You're Jim Crow burning crosses on people's lawn. The most ridiculous comment of the day. Loki Tobin, congratulations. All right, um, that's it for today. We're out of time. Tomorrow, I have no idea. We're going to come up with something, though. Make sure you join us for that kind of... That's a hook. I mean, I can't believe she actually said... It's like burning a cross on somebody's lawn. I mean, that has n no... That has no even relationship with reality. Crazy. All right. Well, um, we're out of time. We will see you guys uh, tomorrow. Be kind. Love one another. Live well. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense Radio.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.